Have you ever been in a crowd and suddenly you heard someone call your name? Or kids, maybe you were playing with friends and all of a sudden your parent or teacher came and said, they called your name and said, it's time to go. Well, in those situations, why do we respond so quickly and give them our attention? Well, it's, it's because it's someone we know and they're calling our name and we know them. There's some kind of relationship, some kind of familiarity there. We know one another personally. A similar thing happens in Middle Eastern villages where all the families in the village will take their flocks and put them into one common flock. And then at different times, the particular shepherd of each family or household will come and with his voice, his sounds, his words, he'll make a call. And his sheep and only his sheep, that one flock, will leave the the pen, the sheepfold, and come out and follow him. I've seen this happen, this kind of thing happen in the mountains of Turkey, where an old shepherd, I'll call him Mehmet, was interacting with his sheep. And he would call them, make certain sounds, sometimes pick up a rock and threaten them. And he would always have his eye on them, but they knew his voice. It was clear they knew his voice. Well, let's keep that picture in mind of a shepherd calling his sheep. Let's keep that in mind as we turn to John chapter 10. And as I read verses 1 to 18, I want to ask you to be on the lookout for three things. Who Jesus is, what he's doing, and how his sheep respond to him. Who Jesus is, what he's doing, and how his sheep respond to him. I just love this passage. John 10 1 to 18. If you're able, please stand with me just as we want to honor God's word together. John 10, 1 to 18. Again, Jesus is responding to angry, antagonistic Pharisees as he speaks. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, That man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. 
I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me. Because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. The first thing I want to point out from these verses is who Jesus is. Obviously, he repeatedly calls himself the shepherd, the good shepherd. He does also call himself the door, but his emphasis is primarily on himself as the good shepherd. And his goodness, his goodness, stands in stark contrast to the wicked, self-serving community leaders that he's talking to. And his words have roots in Old Testament soil. Jesus fulfills Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. That's him. He fulfills the Lord's words that we read earlier through Ezekiel. Words that were rebuking wicked, self-serving human shepherds. I myself will search for my sheep. Ezekiel 34.11 That's Jesus too. All of these passages are pointing to him. In fact, one theologian said that the early church, when they saw Jesus as the good shepherd, in that image, they saw everything they needed. I love that image of the good shepherd. And what a contrast, what a contrast with leaders in communities, not only in Jesus' day, but also in ours. Stories our Iranian friends and Afghan friends, in fact, tell us about life in their home countries boggle the mind. Our friend Masood, when he was young, he was sitting with his, his father and some other men from the community, and he sincerely asked the religious leader a question. His father, Masood's father, promptly slapped him in the face for daring to do such a thing. It was a respectful, sincere question. Mahmoud grew up in a home where his father tormented, brutally, I won't go into detail, tormented him and his brother. Made them strip down and go into the, the snow, beat them with rubber pipes, 
tortured animals with boiling water. I shouldn't even share the details. It's just awful. That was his growing up life. Ismail, a house, plant, a house church planter, uh, was put in solitary confinement by the religious and political leaders in Tehran. If you don't give us the names of other Christian leaders, they threatened him, we'll put your wife in the cell right over there and you'll hear everything we do to her. The newly elected president of Iran, Raisi, you might know this, he was once a part of, of a group called Hayatimarg, the Death Commission, and he helped sentence thousands of nonconformist Iranian youths, males and females, to immediate execution. Iran may be an extreme example, but the point is this. In contrast to wicked, selfish human leaders, merely human leaders in our communities, even the best of them are fallible, are prone to selfishness. Jesus is the good shepherd. And I pray that, I pray that, that he would open our eyes again today to himself as the shepherd and the good shepherd. We need to ask ourselves when we come face to face with him, do I recognize the wickedness or at least the, the fallibility, the insufficiency of all human leaders, including the ones that I like and would vote for? And in contrast to them, am I seeing, really seeing, enthralled by, amazed by Jesus, the good shepherd, so that I put my hope in him even when circumstances and elections don't go my way? Jesus is the good shepherd. The second thing I want to point out from these verses here in John 10 is what Jesus is doing. What Jesus is doing. I'm not sure if you noticed this, but we see him in this passage going to communities. The metaphor is a sheepfold, a sheep pen. Going to communities all over the world. He's calling, he's gathering, he's saving, he's feeding, he's forming one big flock, he's leading, he's sticking with and defending his sheep with authority, divine authority. He's laying down his life and he's taking it up again. This is the Great Commission. Usually we think of Matthew 28 and rightly so. Uh, as the Great Commission, Jesus with that authority says, I have this authority in heaven and on earth, therefore go and make disciples among all nations. Here, from a complementary perspective, we see that Jesus himself is leading the charge. The Good Shepherd himself is going to those communities around the world. Brothers and sisters, let's not be lulled to sleep and think that he's not doing anything including right here. The earth is buzzing with this activity of the good shepherd all the time. Listen to the words in verse, his words in verse 16. I'll read it once and then I'll insert a couple of words to clarify what he means. Verse 16. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. I have other sheep 
Gentiles that are not of this fold, Israelites. I must bring them, Gentiles, also. And this resonates perfectly with how the Apostle Paul describes the one body of Christ in Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 13 and 14. Speaking to Gentile believers, he says, But now in Christ, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both, Jewish believers in Jesus and Gentile believers in Jesus, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Jesus is going, even as we speak, even right here, right now, he's going to all communities on earth. You could call them people groups or ethno-linguistic people groups. And he's calling and he's gathering into one big flock his sheep, otherwise known as his church. Christ reconciles believing Jews and believing Gentiles together in the gospel he also, in a way that echoes that and is based upon that, he also reconciles Christian believers from rival people groups together in the gospel. One evening in Ankara, a friend of mine, Ehsan, he said something that I've heard from other Iranian believers as well. He said, um, and I should say, Ehsan is an Azari uh, Person. He comes from the ethnic group called Azeri. His heart language that he speaks most and loves most is a, a Turkic Azeri language. They speak it in Azerbaijan as well. So he's Iranian by citizenship. He's Azeri by ethnicity. And as you know, there's, there's the boundaries of geopolitical nations, but inside those are people groups, ethnic people groups. His group from Iran, from the west part of the country, is the Azeri people group. So with that background, here's what he said. You know, out in the world, those of us gathered here in this cafe would not be together. We're from different parts of Iran. Our traditions are different. Some of us speak a different mother tongue than Farsi. But as believers in Christ in a local church, we're family. We're brothers and sisters. Amen. Jesus, the good shepherd, is calling and gathering his sheep, his believers, from every community on earth, everyone without exception. And he's forming us into one big flock in him. And I want to note here, uh, someone in a different church said, what do you think is the best method for evangelism among Muslims? In my opinion, this is it. <laughs> Bring an unbeliever to see a bunch of people that grew up where he grew up, in the system he grew up in, who know exactly the context of his childhood and training, and show that unbeliever, believers in the gospel who are changed people and who are loving each other, and make him say, out in the world, people from those groups like this are killing each other. Here you're loving each other. What is going on? Show them a local church where that kind of reconciliation is happening and they cannot easily dismiss it. 
I'm not against one-on-one evangelism. I do it a lot. I'm not against small groups. I'm not against lots of different things. Same message, different approaches. But when you bring an Iranian Muslim into an Iranian church of people who grew up where he grew up and now believe the gospel and love each other and repent when they don't and reconcile through conflicts instead of just saying, I'm done with you. That's different. And he cannot easily or she cannot easily dismiss it. But how does this happen? Isn't that kind of weird, this idea of of Jesus calling by name, his voice? Isn't it kind of weird? Not at all. It happens as you and I proclaim the gospel, this message. It's a word message meant to be heralded. It's not, gospel proclamation is not a two-way conversation. There's room for that. There's room for apologetics. There's room for persuasion and back and forth conversation, interaction. This particularly is Jesus' idea. A proclamation from the king through his ambassadors. I love the name of your church. Always have. Through his ambassadors. It's a message that is, has the authority of heaven with it. We proclaim it. We herald it. Jesus calls his sheep by name as we do that. It's the good news. It's a word message. It's not good deeds, as important as those are. It's not a godly life even, as important as that is to back up and lend integrity to our message. All of those are indispensable. But the gospel is written or usually spoken. It's words about God's Son, about this good shepherd who came to earth And with supreme authority, laid down his life and he took it up again. Those Pharisees and the Romans they coordinated with, they're responsible. And my sins and yours are responsible for nailing him to the cross. But as Acts chapters chapters 2 and 4 show us as well, all of that happened by God's sovereign plan. They did what God planned that they would do. They didn't take Jesus' life. He laid it down. And when he rose from the dead, he took it up again. John himself says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, Jesus is the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Hard to find a more important word in the Bible than propitiation. He's the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. The Apostle Paul writes that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's wrath coming. There's judgment coming. Eternal hell awaits every person who won't repent from their sins. There's time today. There's time now to be saved from that everlasting condemnation. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's how the calling and gathering process happens. That metaphor of Jesus going to the sheepfolds, the households, the communities of the world, and calling out his sheep who know his voice, he calls their name and they come out from where they were. It happens as you and I proclaim the gospel. 
Now, I want to ask you a question, and I do this with a heart not to bring any condemnation, but encouragement and healthy self-evaluation. In the last 15, 16 months, uh, mainly the pandemic time, if you and I had a re- an audio recorder hung around our neck that whole time, and we're people, I'm talking to people here who profess that Jesus is their Lord and their Savior, their Good Shepherd, who profess to believe and, and, and love the gospel. But if during those 16 months or so, a recorder was hung around our neck and all of our words and conversations were recorded, how much in our conversations would we be speaking the gospel, not even just sharing, but telling, proclaiming the gospel? Up here is great from behind a pulpit. That's not mainly what I mean. Most sheep are not here. This is to equip you to go out there. How much in your personal audio recorder would we hear you if we played it today? Would we hear you proclaiming the gospel to those around you? Again, I say this not to condemn, to criticize. None of us measures up fully. But let's evaluate ourselves. Doing nice things is good. Mentioning Jesus is good. That's a good starter, at least. His name always gets a reaction. But the gospel... The gospel, it comes with this authority. It is the only message in the only name in the whole world that can save a sinner from eternal hell. We need to daily remind ourselves of that, remind ourselves of the rejoice in that gospel and tell the gospel, proclaim the gospel. We've seen who Jesus is. We've seen what he's doing, going to the households, the communities of the world. The third thing I want to point out from these verses is how Jesus' sheep respond to his call. How Jesus' sheep respond to his call. When he goes to these global communities and calls his sheep out, those that are his people hear his voice calling the name and they respond. They leave where they were and they come out to follow the shepherd. This may involve moving houses or communities or countries, but that's not the point here at all. It's a movement spiritually and socially. It's a change of allegiance. It's people who hear the gospel and become new people. Not better people. People who were spiritually dead come to life. People who were blind start to see. They see because of God's power in the gospel. They become new people and they follow Jesus as their good shepherd in all of life. Um, If you can put the picture of Farhad up there, please. I want to tell you about my friend and co-pastor Farhad. Obviously the one on the left. Farhad grew up in a village in Iran called Kerman. He says it's where civilization started. I don't know if he's, if he's right or not. Farhad grew up uh, in a conservative Muslim community. Most Iranians, uh, they're not true Muslims, if you want to say it that way. They, they like poetry and parties and politics. They're nominally Muslim. Very few are the real deal, true believers, if you want to call them that. 
Farhad was a true believer. When the call to prayer sounded from the minaret, he ran because he, he ran there to the mosque because he wanted to be in the first row of those who were bowing. Most Iranians, if you ask them, uh, will say they hated Arabic classes in school. They speak Persian or Farsi. Farhad loved it. He loved Arabic. Can still quote Arabic verses from the Quran. His last name is Al-Taha, an Arabic name. In fact, his family claims to be Sayyid. And that means they claim to be descended from Muhammad himself. It's hard to come up with a pedigree as an Iranian Muslim that's better than that from their perspective. I don't know about you, but I think of the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3. You know, if those guys think they have something to, to boast about, I've got more tribe of Benjamin, Pharisee of Pharisees, more zeal than anybody else for the law, so zealous I persecuted the church. That's how Farhad was. One of his friends started talking about Jesus one day. Farhad was within inches of rounding up other friends to go and take that guy out. He was a lot like Saul. When, when Farhad reads Acts chapter 9, he sees reflections of himself. But the Lord Jesus, the good shepherd, had other plans. And the Lord Jesus, the good shepherd, went to the sheepfold of Kerman. Where if you, were to, if you were to proclaim the gospel in the street now, you'd be killed immediately. The good shepherd went to Kerman, to that sheepfold. He went to a family of those that were also conservative Muslims who loved to hear Farhad when he was young speak about the Islamic lessons he was learning in school, who loved to hear him recite Arabic verses. The good shepherd went to that sheepfold. He said, Farhad, follow me. He's still doing that. The earth really is buzzing with the good shepherd's activity even as we speak. But why? Why do some people respond to Jesus' voice? Why do some people respond to the gospel? Respond positively, I mean. Um, the gospel hardens some people. But some people respond in faith and repentance. Why? Well, there are those in every community who by God's electing grace are Jesus' people. There's mystery here. But when those people hear Jesus' voice, they will eventually respond by trusting in Christ and turning from their sins. Eventually, the gospel power will change their minds, which changes their life, which changes the whole direction they're going. This is a huge encouragement for those of us who proclaim the gospel. It's a huge confidence booster. We can know for sure that wherever we go, whatever community in the world, Jesus has his people. And eventually, though the calling and responding process may take a long time, Sinclair Ferguson in his book, uh, Doctrinal Introduction to the Christian Life, I'd highly recommend it, has such helpful things to say about this. That calling process of someone hearing the gospel um, over time can take a long time. 
But Jesus' people will respond eventually in faith and repentance. They're his redeemed representatives. Look with me, if you would, at verse 26. John 10, verse 26. I'll start in the middle of verse 25. Jesus, again, talking to especially Jewish leaders antagonistic to him, um, trying to nail him down. He says, The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you're not among my sheep. If you're reading fast and don't focus in, you might get that order wrong. He doesn't say, you're not my sheep because you don't believe. He says, you don't believe because you're not my sheep. Jesus has people in every household, in every community in the world. In some mysterious way, they were chosen before the foundation of the world, other parts of the Bible tell us. When we go to communities and proclaim the gospel, they will believe. They will repent eventually. It's just a matter of time. In Genesis chapter 3, God promised Abraham that this would happen. He said, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's the gospel. The rest of the Bible, says John Stott, explains just how that verse plays out. And in the book of Revelation, we see the final product, the fully formed one flock of Jesus. Revelation 5, verses 9 and 10. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth. I want to put up that picture of the cafe, the group in the cafe again. Uh, some members of the Iranian church that we serve in there. Uh, not everyone could come. Uh, Iranian refugees work long hours, Monday through Saturday, dawn to dusk, most of them, if not the night shift. So a bunch of people couldn't come, but they threw this goodbye party for us. I want to make some comments about this group. When I look at this picture, I see, I see Fatty Boers. Our tech guy. If he was here, he'd be sitting back there helping out with the computer. You're doing a fine job. Not that you need, not that you need help. Fatty Boards is one of those guys where, uh, as long as I've known him, everything's a joke. Maybe you know someone like that. Everything's funny. Everything's a joke. Nothing's serious. A few weeks ago, it was his turn to pray at the close of a service. And I think most of us picked our, had to pick our jaws up off the floor when he got done. Never heard him pray like that before. There's changes happening in him through the Word of God and through the Gospel. Humor is great. Joy is great. Laughter is great. But he's bringing in a seriousness now that we haven't seen before. When I see Fatty Boers' face, I think it's one of the things I think of. 
When I see the face of Farzad in Masumeh, I think of the time when they called me and said, we need to see you now. You don't know them, so that's why I'm using their names. We need to talk to you now. Can you meet us downtown? Sure. Got off the bus, walked to that cafe. Masume is like this. Farzad has this look in his eye, and I can tell something happened. She'd been unfaithful, and they didn't know what to do. And for months and for years, we walked the road together, the bumpy road of restoration. He would call me and say, the guy lives in our neighborhood and I saw him again. And if I wasn't a believer, I would kill him. And at the end of this gathering, they stood in front of me, both of them with tears running down their face and said, if it wasn't for the ministry of this church, i.e. the good shepherd, we would not be standing here side by side as husband and wife right now. I look at these faces, I think of Farhad, his background. He's, he's supported and encouraged now, but he's a solo pastor for a while. Loves God's word. People ask him a question about a topic. His, his first words usually are, well, the Bible says. Could you ask for more in, a, in an emerging pastor of a flock? The Bible says this, so... When I look at this picture, I look at I think of, of Mesaw. Mesaw, who uh, wanted to be an in-charge leader of the church. And she would do things subtly or not to communicate that. The Lord has done a work in her to soften her. And she has a contentedness of spirit now that's different. And she blesses people by saying and by writing prayers that encourage the flock. She also just got into a pretty big fight with another sister in the church. I'm trying to help them work through at a distance. You know, they're not so different from you and me, these brothers and sisters. It's, there's a lot in common. But there's a special celebration when ones that seem so unlikely, from such an unlikely sheepfold, have heard the gospel and repented from their sins and believed. We've seen in John 10, I would encourage you to read it again soon and look at, look at these things again. But we've seen who Jesus is as the good shepherd. We've seen what he's doing as he goes to communities around the world, calling his own sheep and gathering them. And we've seen how his people do and will respond in faith and repentance as he calls each person by name. Would you pray with me? Lord, as unworthy ones who are yet called fully righteous by faith in the gospel, we come before you amazed by your grace, amazed by Jesus, the good shepherd, the epitome of what goodness is, the source and definition of what goodness is, the ultimate shepherd, not the weak, effeminate image maybe our culture has of shepherds, but the the manly, brave, dangerous role of a shepherd. 
We praise you for Jesus, our good shepherd. And I ask again, Lord, that you would allow your people, Jesus' people in this congregation to see afresh how you want them to participate in proclaiming the gospel, in praying for gospel proclamation, for doing gospel proclamation. And would you, would you arrange circumstances, Lord Jesus, where through each believer here, you are, you are calling your sheep by name and they hear your voice and they recognize you and they come out from where they've been and they follow you. Lord, save, I pray. Work among the children, among the youth, among wayward children, among wayward uh, adults and young adults that we know here and elsewhere. We confess our impotence to save them, our impotence to make them understand the good news of the Good Shepherd. So we lean wholly on your grace to save. Do it for, for your name's sake, Lord. And we will rejoice in you and praise you forever and ever. In the name of the Good Shepherd, we pray these things. Amen.